Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you for joining me. Entering week four of the NFL season, the MLB postseason is upon us. We have a new AL home run king. Red Sox fans, hate to see it. Kind of sucks for us. It's a lot. It's a lot right now. Uh, So we didn't learn a ton about a lot of teams in week three. We didn't. However, we may have learned some things about the Miami Dolphins organization and the NFL's concussion protocols on Thursday night. And it was an unfortunate situation that led to Tua getting hit and leaving the game with a concussion. He went to the hospital there in Cincinnati and was was taken care of there and was able to fly home with the team on Thursday night, but it raised a lot of questions and a lot of concerns from fans and other players about how the Dolphins have handled Tua's health since last Sunday when he was clearly wobbly and not well after getting hit in their game against the Bills. And he did come back in for the second half of that game and played it in the Dolphins won. But there are a lot of questions. And I want to talk about that specifically in connection to the Brett Favre story. And I hope you guys will bear with me here because there is a point. There is a point to why those two stories connect to me in the way we talk about them and the way that we analyze this stuff in the public sphere. So I want to explain that to you and kind of flesh out with you um, because there is a key through line when we're talking about these really controversial, really emotional topics. And they happen to obviously be tied together by the NFL, but this is probably a broader sports media story in general. Um, I also want to hit on what the hell is going on with Mac Jones and Bill Belichick and kind of discuss why I'm a little tired. I'm a little bit tired right now of uh, the way Bill Belichick is handling this and just the narrative around it in general. So we'll hit on that. And finally, I am going to discuss the absolute utter trash fire on Twitter that has occurred around Malika Andrews of ESPN. What I've been seeing on social media and the internet in terms of reaction to her, um, her reactions to Stephen A. Smith, how she handled herself on first take with Stephen A. Smith, how she has been handling herself on the NBA Today show, and why it's time that everybody take a massive breather and look inward at what their actual problems with hearing these types of not only opinions from women and women of color, especially on TV, but hearing them get emotional and passionate on TV interrupt, you know, people have got to start looking at where their biases um, continue to pop up every single time things like this happen. Every single time we have new diverse voices on TV, why this happens. So we're going to hit on that too. Let's start with Tua and the NFL and Brett Favre and how it all ties in. Okay. So the discussion all of Thursday night and into Friday has been surrounding the shadiness of the Miami Dolphins organization, the questions about concussion protocol, um, on the post-game show on Amazon Prime, both Andrew Whitworth and Ryan Fitzpatrick raised concerns about how 
things were handled. Ryan Fitzpatrick said he really thinks that an independent neurologist should be the one who decides whether or not a player can enter back into a game based on the symptoms that they're exhibiting. He raised that as a possibility. Andrew Whitworth talked about coaches and staff stepping in when he kind of had to be saved from himself from going back in and getting back in too early at his own expense. Um, Former Patriot Rich Ornberger, he also talked about um, Bill Belichick and that coaching staff and that medical staff uh, preventing him from going back and playing in a season where he had had a concussion and how grateful he is. That was in 2011. Um, there's tons of stories like this that have come up and not every single player agrees, but there are a majority of NFL players who were concerned about what they saw, not only last Sunday against the bills, but then to see what happened to Tua on Thursday night against the Bengals and how those tie together um, is really frustrating, right? We saw what we saw. We saw a reaction that looked and felt so much like a concussion, like Tua didn't know what was going on on Sunday against the Bills. He was wobbling. He fell over. He couldn't walk straight, right? This is not something we have ever really associated. These are not symptoms we've ever really associated with back injuries. None of us are doctors, not saying we are, and I'm not even saying the team doctor got it wrong, but we are at the very least a very tuned in NFL viewership and players themselves are very tuned into the signs and symptoms of concussions versus back injuries. And they felt similarly that that was a little sketchy. Now, four days later, we already have issues with injuries on these Thursday night games from teams that have played on Sunday. It's really difficult. Players have been talking about this for years, that it's just not enough rest. Now, two is back in the game and he gets hurt and he's concussed and he's taken to a hospital on a stretcher. And luckily there was reports pretty early on that he had movement in his, in his extremities. Like I said, he was able to fly home with the team. But we are now left with this discussion the next day and presumably over the next week, weeks to follow, right? What are we able to discern from this? We aren't medical professionals. We don't know exactly how the Dolphins came to the conclusion that they could put him out there. Obviously, they had a pass from team doctors. Like, obviously, we know that they didn't just get, no one told them, hey, don't play to it. And they did it anyway. The questions are about what the protocols really do to assess the safety of putting a player back into a game or back into even practice, right? And how how players like Tua, who may have actually had a brain injury, could fall through the cracks of those protocols and why they aren't more strict and why we're not taking it even more seriously than we already do. There's questions there. This ties into the Brett Favre situation. If you don't know, Brett Favre is accused of not only trying to steal welfare money with the governor of Mississippi to put into a volleyball stadium at stadium at his alma mater, but he's also now accused of taking money from his own charity that was supposed to go to families dealing with cancer and disadvantaged families who needed help and putting that into sports programs as well. So here's what I'm going to say. People in organizations need to earn our benefit of the doubt. And a lot of times media are too easy to give it out. And even fans are too easy to give it out because we say, well, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes and who are we to say? Well, in both of these situations, the NFL and the Dolphins on one side, Brett Favre on the other, have shown us who they are and what they are capable of for a very long time. It is time 
that we stop giving them the benefit of the doubt and demand transparency, right? So in the TUA situation, I don't know that something went wrong with the protocol. What I do know is that I saw a guy look like he got concussed, go back into a game, and then four days later, leave a game on a, on a stretcher. Could it be a coincidence? Maybe. But on what planet are we now leaving the fate of players up to coincidence when we know the type of league that the NFL is, when we know the type of organization that the Dolphins are? Both of these organizations have told us what they're capable of. They've told us they're capable of, of not only ignoring concussions for decades, but then downplaying the danger of concussions, then slowly but surely putting in place actual measures to prevent concussions. And so we have a lot of evidence just on the concussion front that the NFL will put profit over player health. We also have evidence that they have been wrong on many occasions about many things. A, a very smart Twitter user pointed out that they don't even seem to understand how PSI works, right? They are sort of indiscriminately punitive and then indiscriminately turning away to look away from real issues. This is the same league where a player accused of sexually assaulting dozens of women just got a historic guaranteed contract, right? The balance is all out of whack in that league and we know it. We also know the Dolphins are an organization that has been mired in controversy for the last year plus between firing Brian Flores, who was coming off of two winning seasons, accusations that they wanted Flores to tank for them, the owner being sanctioned for trying to tamper with Tom Brady and get him to come to the Dolphins, and then putting together a roster that was much more talented for their new head coach. There's a lot going on there. The Dolphins don't exactly have their own pristine record. Benefit of the doubt. Where have they earned it? We're using our eyes. We're seeing a player who doesn't look okay go back into a game. And then we're seeing him get hurt the very next game four days later. You don't get to get on the internet and say, hey, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. You're right. We don't know. And now we need to start knowing. Now you need to start telling us what exactly made you think that Tua was healthy enough and capable enough to go back into that game without a legitimately higher risk of further injury to his brain than the average player. What exactly was done? We're owed these answers and we're owed our skepticism. We are owed our frustration and outrage because of the way this has been handled by teams and this league for decades. We have watched players commit suicide and donate their brains to science so that we, the public, the media and the fans, don't underestimate what this can do to somebody's life, right? To somebody's life. So if we're overreacting and this was just a horrible coincidence, good. I'm glad we're overreacting because the underreaction for a very long time led to people's lives being ruined. There are still hundreds of NFL players living right now with brain injuries that are struggling mentally, physically, emotionally. So if we're overreacting, that's on you. That's on you, the NFL. That's on you, the Miami Dolphins. That's on you, all of the commissioners and team owners for decades who put the profits over the health of the players. They know there's risks. They're just asking that if you know I might have a concussion, maybe take care of me. And we know that they're capable of it because we've heard from players 
and that they've had teams and staffs step in when they're not okay. So we know they can do it. No, you have not earned our benefit of the, of the doubt the next day to say, well, we don't really know. That takes me over to Brett Favre. Brett Favre has shown us for decades that he doesn't give a shit. He's been a shitty, entitled dude for a very long time. Between PPP loans and welfare scandals and sexual harassment and doing the bare fucking minimum of studying in the NFL because he is so physically gifted, he didn't give a shit about actually learning how the game worked. This man has exhibited over and over for a very long time a sincere lack of interest in giving a shit about anybody but himself. And even after a horrific sexual harassment situation in the NFL, he was still playing. He was still getting his Hall of Fame buzz. No questions asked. Hey, this guy is just, you know, he's just rogue, right? Kept showing us over and over again who he was, and we found ways to excuse it or ways to minimize it or ways to look past it or said, well, what are we going to say about it? The guy's just, um, he's kind of a dick, right? No, this is bad. This guy is stealing money from welfare in the poorest state in the nation. He's stealing money from charity for sick people, his own charity. He's stealing money from the government during a pandemic. This is a man worth millions of dollars. He doesn't care. He never should have been given the benefit of the doubt after what he did in New York with the Jets. And we continued to give him the benefit of the doubt, continued to let him have spots in the media and on radio, continued to let him head charities, continued to let him do all of these things because we believed, hey, isolated incidents people make mistakes no no there was a pattern of behavior with this man for a long time and we the media and the fans let it go let it slip over and over again so now now we're hyper vigilant now we're going to be hyper vigilant right he has not earned a single morsel of benefit of the doubt and these two stories really highlight why it's so important that we not come out and Preach being measured and being fair to people who have never given us a reason to believe in them. There's always this thing that happens where it's like, well, we don't know. We have to wait for the full story to come out. We have to wait for the full story to come out. If someone shows you who they are over and over and over again, they are now the boy who cried wolf, right? Like, I don't care if it turns out that everything was okay with Tua. That's a good thing. If it turns out everything was okay with Tua and this was a coincidence, that's great. If it comes out that they followed protocol, great. We'll all have been happy to be wrong. But I don't want to look back and act like our skepticism and our fears right now aren't completely valid because they are. They are completely valid. And getting on the internet or getting on television today and saying, we just got to wait till all the facts come out is bullshit. We don't, they are, they owe us the facts. You prove to us that you didn't fuck up. You prove to us that you took this fucking seriously because as far as I can tell, I have zero reason to give you benefit of the doubt. Brett Favre is what happens when you don't ask enough questions and you don't hold people to accountability over and over and over again. This is what happens. You let shitty people have power and money and they take advantage of the most vulnerable people 
in society. Sorry if you feel inconvenienced by all the questions. I feel inconvenienced that you fired Brian Flores and all your fans are accusing him of trying to tank to his career. I feel inconvenienced by that. I feel inconvenienced by the fact that I don't, I can't trust you or the NFL when I see a player look concussed and come back out on the field. That, that sucks. That sucks for me. So figure it out. Moving on to the Patriots and Mac Jones. All week, it's been a game of, I don't know, screwed up chess with Bill Belichick not wanting to give any sort of indication whatsoever whether or not Mac Jones will be able to play on Sunday with his high ankle sprain. Mac is clearly trying to push himself to play in that game. I know that Mike Giardi said he got a text message from an anonymous player who said, you know, he hopes they're looking at the long game here and Mac's really tough, but he's not, he doesn't look great. You know, things are rough. Belichick has, you know, done a, very many of his Belichickisms this, this week. What do I look like an orthopedic surgeon? I don't know. It's day by day. There's like super cuts of him saying day by day, like 12 times in a row. Right. And here's the thing after what happened last night, I'm just not having fun with fucking around with players injuries. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's like interesting or like fun gamesmanship to be like, I don't know if he can play. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. The fact that he was screaming in pain has a pretty severe high ankle sprain. And we're all like, uh, maybe, maybe come on. Like, I know it's not a concussion. He can play on it. He'll live, but like, what are we doing? This is the Packers. They're probably going to lose the game. What are we accomplishing by trying to do this thing of like, what are they going to do? What are the Packers going to do? Are they going to have to prepare for Brian Hoyer or Mac Jones? This isn't like the difference between having to prepare for Kyler Murray or Colt McCoy, right? Either way, the offense isn't going to be astounding. Either way, they're probably going to have to run the ball a bit more, especially if their quarterback who decided running was his new thing last week is got a high ankle sprain. So you're either dealing with a hobbled Mac Jones or 37, however old Brian Hoyer, who hasn't won a game in the NFL since 2016. I think the Packers will figure it out one way or the other, whether Bill Belichick admits that Mac Jones is going to play or not. So I don't know what this is. Like, I don't, I just don't get it. But again, it's like, I don't, I trust that Bill Belichick is taking care of his players. I've never had a reason not to really trust that. We haven't seen anything from him where I feel like he's the kind of guy who wants to put the future of his team and the future of a player's health on the line to win a game in September or early October, but it's still annoying. Like things are not going great. You're one and two, you're falling behind the dolphins and the bills very early. The offense is struggling despite how well the defense has been playing. Like I'm not having fun with the games. These games were fun when you were constantly coming off the Super Bowls. These like little witticisms and Belichickisms were interesting and fun when you were one of the best teams in the league for 20 years. That's not the case now. Not saying there's not hope, not saying that there's a reason to like bail on the team by any means. I'm really excited to see them play regardless of who's at quarterback. I do want to see what the defense is able to do against Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. And, you know, this is a defense that I thought, I think started to really prove themselves. The score in the Ravens game last week doesn't really reflect how well the defense played. Lamar Jackson is playing at an MVP level and he's impossible to stop sometimes, but they still made 
all the plays they needed to keep their offense in the game and more. So I, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited about all of it. I think we've got to adjust. And I mean, to some extent, Bill Belichick has, he has been praised his players more. He has been a little more emotive, especially in the preseason off season, stuff like that. I think he gets back into that habit of being really secretive and really closed down once we get to the regular season. And I'm not asking him to change at the age of 70 completely. I just think that in this climate with player injuries and things like that, and considering the fact that there's no real major competitive advantage at this point to having a hobbled Mac Jones or Brian Hoyer, Matt LaFleur will be able to handle it. You know, I mean, if this was Mac, if Mac were rolling, everything were fine, he were 100% healthy, and you're like trying to compare what the offense would look like with that Mac compared to Brian Hoyer, I get it. Maybe there's some difference there. But still, like, Mac is not Jalen Hurts. Like, <laughs> like, you're not going from somebody who can rush 10, 11 touchdowns a season to an old pocket quarterback. They're just not that different. This isn't Tom Brady versus Jacoby Brissett. Just tell us what's going on. Jesus. I love you, Bill, but just tell us what's going on. I'm tired. All right. Before we go, I just want to address this. If you've been on the internet at all, you've seen that there's been major backlash to Malika Andrews and some of the stuff that she's been saying on ESPN. The first was her sort of interrupting and arguing with Stephen A. Smith on first take. She also on an NBA Today script spoke about Joe Mazzula, the new Celtics coach, about his um, arrests and run-ins with the law 13 years ago uh, when he was in college and led that into a conversation. She did clarify that it was 13 years ago and that nothing's hanging over his head. It's been resolved. But people were very, very mad about the idea that she would bring that up. And, uh, you know, and then there's all these clips of her, like, you know, interrupting Kendrick Perkins on a panel on the show. And it's just, it's clear to me that there's a real issue with women, especially black women on TV, behaving the way that everybody else does on TV. Right. So first of all, when it comes to the news report about Joe Mazzulla, that stuff, that's a news report. It's scripted. You can see she's reading off of a prompter. So whether she wrote her own script or didn't, it has been looked over and put into the system by a producer. Producers are tasked with making sure they know what's going on in their scripted stuff for these shows, for these news segments. So whether a producer edited it, looked at it, approved it, whatever, it went in there. She didn't wing it. She didn't like just decide she was going to say that off the cuff. That was a scripted news report as she was leading into her interview with Woj. Okay. As far as the Stephen A. Smith stuff is concerned, being offended that anybody would interrupt or talk over or misunderstand Stephen A. Smith, who practically created that type of discourse on debate shows himself, he is the godfather of it, is so disingenuous. I can't even begin, I can't even begin to tell you. She is doing exactly what so many hundreds of people have come on that show and done with Stephen A. Smith and had done to them by Stephen A. Smith for decades. Like, don't act like this is some sort of major injustice that Stephen A. Smith, King Yeller, King Interrupter, had the tape, the, the script flipped on him by a woman who was trying to make a point about what was going on with potential misconduct by a man in the Celtics organization. Whether you agree with her perspective on the situation or not, what you have to understand is by having women on television in these spots and women, black women 
in these spots, you're going to hear discourse you haven't heard before. TV media used to be exclusively white and male. Then they started bringing black men, former athletes, and white women on. And a lot of people who didn't want to see that happen. Now, black women are getting the opportunity to be in these spots, to be on debate shows. This is very new. Women being able to be on debate shows and actually be debates, actually be part of the debate, part of the discussion, rather than just sitting there as a host, getting ignored by the two people debating in front of them. It's new. So the diversity of opinion and thought has been very lacking. It's been a very homogenous, male-oriented perspective across sports media and on television for a very long time. So you're going to hear a female voice and you're going to hear a female perspective or a Black female perspective on an issue in which you've never heard that kind of perspective. The narratives are not being entirely and fully and completely curated by men and white men on these shows anymore. So things are going to trigger in your brain that says, I've never heard this before. I've never heard people talk like this before. No, you have. You just haven't heard it from women expressing their points of view as women and Black women and women of color. That is the thing that's different. When you bring in diversity of lived experience onto television, you're going to hear things you've never heard before. You're going to have challenges to points that have never been challenged before. You're going to hear passion where there wasn't passion before because that's how women feel about these topics. That's what happens when you start hearing from people that aren't men and aren't white. This is not a crazy concept, but it is very important that you understand why it is that you're freaking out a little bit when you hear this stuff, because all of the excuses that people are making for why they don't like Malika Andrews are completely rooted in misogyny and racism. Just say you don't like the opinion, say why, and move on. When you mention why she shouldn't have a job or you mention why she should has no place to be arguing with Stephen A. Smith on his own show, what do you think debate shows are? Stephen A. Smith invites his friends on to agree with him? What the fuck are you talking about? That's the whole point. And how many debates have you watched on sports television that have been, you say what you say, I say what I say, then we discuss them. It's interrupting, it's, it's getting emotional, it's getting passionate. That's the whole thing. And guess what? After decades and decades of being silenced, women and women of color and black women, especially are going to get on and say, hey, you guys have had this wrong for a while now. And now, uh, now uh, it's my turn to talk. And yeah, I'm actually going to cut into some of your time too. That is going to happen. Not saying she's going to be right all the time. I, ever. I would never say that. <laughs> like we're going to be wrong too. Women are going to be wrong on television, in sports debates, in interviews. It's going to happen. But calling for her to be ousted, saying horrible, sexist, misogynist, racist things about her just because she's saying things you've never heard before in a way you've never heard them said, that's beta behavior, guys. It's beta behavior. Get over it. There are a lot of people on television that shouldn't be there. A lot of people. She's not one of them. Chill out. Okay? Just chill out. All right, that's it for me this week. Thank you guys for joining me. I really hope that... Uh, this week of football, the games are a little bit more high quality than last week. It was tough. Last week was tough. I had no idea what was going on. Um, I touted all the greatness of the Chiefs and the Bills before last week, and they both lost. Ridiculous. I still think the Chiefs and the Bills are two of the best teams in the league, but you know, you get those trap games. That the Chiefs just got straight up trapped. And I don't know what happened with the Bills. They had way more yards on offense. They possessed the ball like 40 minutes to, I think it was 41 minutes to 19 minutes for the Dolphins. That was wild. Like, there's a lot of weird things that were happening last week, but 
like we said earlier in the year, uh, teams are going to continue to figure out who they are, settle into a rhythm, and hopefully we'll start getting higher quality games because of that. So looking forward to week four. And in the meantime, keep an eye out for me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm on all those platforms daily. So keep up with me there. Follow all that stuff. Uh, DM, comment, you know, we'll get into it as per usual. And uh, until then, have a great weekend. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.